Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour on the topic of airway concerns and performance forces with Dr. Rachel Liepman of Cave Creek Equine Sports Medicine and Surgery in Arizona. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2022 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Liepman is an internal medicine specialist who has extensive training in sports medicine, as well as being an avid equestrian enthusiast herself. She attended veterinary school at Michigan State University, completed an equine internship with B.W. Furlong and Associates in New Jersey, and underwent advanced training to obtain her master's degree and certification with the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine from The Ohio State University. Dr. Liepman grew up on the East Coast and in the Midwest with thoroughbred racehorses, and she still competes with her jumper mare. Thank you, Dr. Liepman, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about airway concerns and performance horses. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, let's just jump right in. So what are some of the most common airway issues that performance horses face? So one of the most common things we see are allergies um, in different parts of the country when horses travel. Um, but whenever we're looking at airway concerns in horses, we want to split it up from between upper respiratory disease and lower respiratory disease. Um, as we all know, horses are also prone to asthma, which is a response to allergens. Um, and we also have things such as shifting fever, which are less common. Um, we might see this in horses that travel long distance, uh, horses showing, um, and definitely more of a serious concern compared to those other things that you know, are more um, more routine to deal with. Um, other uncommon things we might see um, include some things that we would need to look for diagnostically and more of a search. So in young horses, sometimes we'll see parasite migration that causes a cough um, and it's not really an infectious agent. Um, also, you know, very uncommonly, some horses, when we rule out a lot of other things, um, might have things like equine multinodular pulmonary fibrosis or even rarely in this part of the country, um, coccidioides imidis or valley fever. So there's um, lots of different categories of airway concerns, but definitely um, the ones we deal with most include allergies, asthma, and uh, exercise-induced pulmonary hemorrhage. Let's just start with allergies because that's I know that's always a big concern that owners will bring to their vets and say, hey, I think my horse is, you know, just a little you know, sneezy coffee sounds a little funny. And and a lot of these performance horse owners and riders, they're very attuned to when their horses are a little off. So what concerns might you hear if it's an allergic reaction or even getting into asthma? And what would you do kind of step by step? What is your process of looking at these horses for diagnosis? Yeah, so, so allergies are a little... Um a little unique to each horse. Uh, a lot of times horses with respiratory allergies also have a history of um, runny eyes or hives or other skin issues. Um, and sometimes I feel like we see them over the years start to develop some respiratory signs. And so those horses getting a good history is really super important. Um, you know, the way that I approach these cases is, is first, really detailed history and really thorough physical exam. You're going to get the most information out of those things. You want to ask them, you know, about history of cough, history of nasal discharge. You want to know if, you know, what the color and the character of the nasal discharge is. Is it, 
really mucoid? Is it um, purulent, you know, pus filled? Um, is it, does it have an odor? Is it one nostril versus both nostrils? All these different things are really important and how frequently you're seeing it. If it's, it has a seasonal component, that's really important as well. Other things you might see are, uh, you know, checking their lymph nodes really well. Some horses will have a very, um, you know, intermittent nasal discharge and a tiny bit of lymph node swelling. And that horse could be a carrier of strangles and never have had other clinical signs. So being really detailed about your physical exam can be so helpful. And then, of course, um, temperature monitoring. Always ask your clients if they've been monitoring their temperature. A lot of times will say, has the horse had a fever? And their answer is no. And then the next question I ask is, do you monitor the temperature? And often the answer is no. So we don't actually know if the horse had a fever. They have no recorded fever. So um, those kind of things are really important to get a handle on. The horses that are bleeders or have EIPH, those horses are a little bit um, trickier, I feel, to pinpoint. You're going to see that more in racing horses and in these high-speed quarter horse performance horses. Um, and a lot of times they don't bleed externally out of their nose. So they might have a complaint that they are gait sour or um, they're not running as quick um, or they're coughing after exercise and they never noticed blood at their nares. People sometimes don't understand that even if we don't see it at their at their nostril, they still might be bleeding. And so kind of trying to explain that and going down that path would be more you know, likely in the horses that are really working at high speed. This isn't going to be as common in, say, a dressage horse or, you know, a, a hunter horse. Um, so kind of knowing your population of horses and the common diseases we have in those horses is important as well. And then, um, horses with asthma, now they are a continuum. So asthma is now a catch-all for horses with, um, what we used to call inflammatory airway disease and heaves or COPD or RAO or whatever you want to call it. We have, um, sort of mild equine asthma to severe equine asthma. So different grades of asthma and asthma is a basically an overreaction to normal inhaled allergens or particulates. And so it's the response to something more like allergies to just normal things in the environment, like hay, um, dusts, pollens, et cetera. So I would say in my clinical experience, there is really a continuum of how bad these horses can be. Sometimes they seem like they cannot perform when they have equine asthma. And sometimes it's just a mild cough at the beginning of exercise that they can kind of work through. So again, history is of paramount importance and your physical exam is so important. Um, even some of these horses having a quiet place, you can perform the exam, do a rebreathing exam and really listen to their lower airway to try to really differentiate between you know maybe something in the upper airway versus the lower airway those are some really good tips to to be thinking about those things so as you're going through this and and let's take the allergen the allergies to start with so besides the clinical signs is there anything else that you do to diagnose an allergy in a horse like you said sometimes you the past history will give you some pretty good indications but what else might you do Including just a really detailed history, knowing their feed, how they're housed, 
you know, if they are fed pellets versus hay, if things are wetted down, what they're bedded on, all those things. Once you know that, and if there's a seasonal component, so asking really detailed questions about, you know, did this just develop? Has this been going on over years? Um, does it matter if it's spring versus winter? Um, all of those things being important, uh, there's a couple different ways to diagnose allergies. So I always advocate for, especially when you have a client coming in with respiratory concerns, to do just a baseline um, ClinPath evaluation. So blood work, CBC chem, and a serum amyloid A to make sure that is normal. Um, a lot of times, if they have any infectious component, you're going to see a change on there. And this is really to give you peace of mind that you're not missing something that might be subtle on one of those uh, blood work parameters. And then after that, if you really think this is allergies, sort of the next step would be, um, you know, depending on the client and, and their desires, um, you can do some imaging of the of the lungs, you know, to see, for example, ultrasound, see if there's any roughening on that pleural surface, um, see if there's any other evidence of disease, and then plus or minus x-rays. Um, oftentimes, we kind of go down that path before we start doing allergy testing because generally, you know, when we're getting, today we're talking about airway concerns with allergies. We want to rule out other things before we say, this is allergies, and then go down the allergy testing path. Now, the allergy testing path, um, there's a couple different ways that you can test for allergies. One is called serum allergy testing, and the other one is intradermal skin testing. Um, with either, you're basically testing for response to environmental things. Those can be a little customized based on geographical location. Um, the intradermal skin testing is the gold standard for, uh, for testing for specific allergies. Serum allergy testing is not as accurate. However, with both testing modalities, they come with treatment. And so the treatment is going to be immunotherapy, basically allergy shots. And those horses, whether they get them, you know, in, injected or orally, they're going to get exposure therapy in small doses at first and then increase the exposure. Sometimes you can use those testing results to eliminate, say, feed that might they might have had a really big reaction to or some other you know thing that's in their environment that you can control but a lot of the times you can't really eliminate the things they're allergic to so we we treat them with exposure therapy and my clinical experience again is is twofold one i do prefer intradermal skin testing there's more science to back up that um that testing modality as an accurate test for a horse um, however, I've also seen good results in, in horses that have gotten serum allergy tested with treatment. And I think it really just has to do with them being exposed to multiple things in small doses to try to kind of ramp it up and get them um, desensitized to those things. And let's let's go on to the more some severe when you are looking at a horse and you're like, yeah, I think this is more than as uh, more than allergies. I think we're dealing with some equine asthma here. So what are the steps that you take when you're looking at a horse that you might consider an asthmatic horse? So generally those horses, um, we find a few different things on exam. Um, oftentimes in the history, they have sort of a, at the beginning of exercise, they let out a few coughs. 
They may have some white, frothy nasal discharge at the end of exercise, um, usually at both nostrils, especially if they put their head down. Um, sometimes it's clear, but usually there's some comments about nasal discharge. Um, and then, you know, basically from there, again, we want to get that baseline clinical pathology out of the way. So make sure their blood work is normal. Then we like to ultrasound those horses and x-ray them. So one thing that I try to impress upon the students that I'm exposed to and clients is that those two diagnostic modalities are going to give you two different pieces of information. You can only see the surface of the lungs when it's aerated, so full of air, um, on ultrasound. That's all you can see. So if there's an abscess a centimeter below a piece of aerated lung, you won't see that. So it's not a perfect diagnostic test, but it can be useful to see if there's fluid in the pleural space, to see if there's roughening on the pleural surface. Um, but with an x-ray, it is much more valuable. So the x-ray can see deeper and we can see evidence of lower airway inflammation. So oftentimes these asthma horses are going to have some bronchitis. They might have an um, increased mild kind of diffuse interstitial pattern often have more of a bronchial pattern on x-rays, um, but they shouldn't have any alveolar components or any consolidation that we see on ultrasound or x-ray. So once we do those tests, then we can do pulmonary testing to get more specific information about their you know, degree of inflammation in the lower airway and the type of inflammation they have. Um, so asthmatics can come in lots of different flavors. They can have um, eosinophils predominating, neutrophils predominating, um, even mast cells sometimes. So sometimes that will dictate the treatment a little bit based on what we find. So in order to determine that, we do a bronchoalveolar lavage. Basically, what we're doing is infusing fluid into the lower airway, taking it out and looking at it under a microscope and seeing kind of what the components are, getting a cell count, um, seeing if there's any other evidence of problems in the lower airway. And that can be done um, paired with endoscopy, either blind with a tube, or if a lot of people like to do it via the endoscope, so you also get to see the amount of mucus in the lower airway. So you go down with the endoscope, grade the mucus score, look at the mucus character, and then, you know, maybe see if there's any blood in there or something like that that might give you some additional information and then get a sample. Um, this technique is not sterile. So not, not a sample we're going to culture, but we look at it for cytology. Most horses with asthma, we don't necessarily need to do a transtracheal wash. That would be the other pulmonary test that is common. Um, that is reserved more for horses with infection in their lower airway so some horses with asthma, if they're really severe, they could have um, a little bit of sort of bacterial infection in that mucus that's accumulating in their, in their trachea. Um, and so sometimes if we're treating them in the beginning, um, if we see evidence of bacterial infection in addition, we might, we might add some antibiotics in, but generally that's, that's not the case. They're usually not quite that severe. So we reserve the transtracheal wash for horses that we think have infection, so more like the pneumonia. And that is a sterile procedure. Work on your summer scan. Enter for the chance to win a Global Pocket Reader Plus in Merck Animal Health's Sizzlin' Summer Sweepstakes Giveaway. The Global Pocket Reader Plus is an ISO-compliant universal microchip scanner for horses. 
It is able to read and store up to 3,000 unique microchip identification numbers and displays and stores microchip temperatures when reading biothermal microchips. Enter before August 31, 2022 by going to merck-animal-health-usa.com forward slash species forward slash equine forward slash summer hyphen sweepstakes. Let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, the upper respiratory dynamic versus static. You and I had talked a little bit about that before we started recording the podcast. So Tell me what you mean by that and how veterinarians use that. Yeah, so um, we've talked a bit about lower airway stuff. So upper respiratory stuff is a little bit, you're going to get different history with those horses and probably different physical exam findings. So, for example, one of the things we often see in, for example, a racehorse, um, left laryngeal hemiplegia. So those horses, you know, may present for noise in their upper respiratory tract at at uh, when they're working. So they're also known as roarers. I'm sure a lot of people have heard that term. So um, things like that, sound during exercise, um, you know, difficulty. Some people will say they seem like they have difficulty breathing, tossing their head sometimes when they have um, sort of dynamic upper respiratory issues. Sometimes it can also be the result of something static. For example, um, they have a mask on their retinoid cartilage or something like that, that is actually physically occluding the area. So it doesn't rely on them, on them working and having negative pressure in their airway, um, for them to still have some obstruction, uh, horses that have, um, dorsal displacement of their soft palate, pharyngeal collapse. Um, gosh, there's just so many things that could go on in the upper respiratory tract. And usually those horses, when you listen to them, they're not really going to have any lower airway, you know, abnormalities with asthma or some other lower airway stuff. You might hear crackles or wheezes when you listen to their lungs, especially during a rebreathing exam. Horses with upper respiratory stuff, you might hear referred sounds. If, for example, they have mucus in their trachea or they have a lot of airway noise from their larynx. Um, in the lower airway, but you're going to hear it loudest as you approach their, their larynx. So in their trachea and around their laryngeal area. Um, so really important. Again, physical exam is paramount importance. I sound like a broken record, but it's just so important because you can learn so much from it um, and really focus your exam in on, okay, I, I really think we need to rule this out before we go to the next step. So horses with upper respiratory stuff, you're, you're going to probably most of the time start with an endoscopy. So to look at the larynx, the guttural pouches, perhaps look in the trachea. Some horses will even have masses in their trachea, pretty rare. Um, but um, some horses will have things that are causing them to cough, for example. And it's not even really in the lower airway as much as it's sort of in between the upper and the lower airway. Um, so lots of things you could see by endoscopy. Um, some people will take x-rays of their upper respiratory tract. So for example, if we don't even have the airway noise, but we have nasal discharge, that's one-sided, you might think something more like a sinus infection or something like that. So skull x-rays can be helpful to rule those things out. But also you can see on guttural pouches with those x-rays and you can see other structures, um, that might give you a clue as to what we're dealing with. So it really determines, um, which way you go. Um, 
more dynamic collapse kind of scenarios. So for example, horses that have pharyngeal collapse when they're working, um, those horses we can use dynamic endoscopy to diagnose, which is pretty cool. We put a small scope um, in their nose and secure it with a harness and then we make them work. And so we can actually record their active um, laryngeal and pharyngeal function while they're getting recorded um, while they're working uh, at a normal normal work. So if they're doing the behavior that the owner describes, they can either be ridden or lunged or whatever. Um, we can actually see what's happening in the airway at that time. And if you see some of these issues, I mean, I'm, I'm like you, I kind of grew up around racehorses and some of these high speed performance horses. And some of these horses end up and, and, you know, as performance horses. So uh, some owners aren't quite as familiar with some of these, but there are treatments to use for laryngeal issues, roaring, as we, we discussed, and some of these other things. Yeah, so depending on what you find, that's where the surgeons come in a lot of the time. So for a roarer, left laryngeal hemiplegia, we can do a tieback surgery to actually tie that cartilage back so it's not causing as much noise or as much performance issue. Um, and um, a ventricular cordectomy can also help with the noise. Um, so, you know, depending on severity or, you know, the the caliber of the animal and the needs for performance, those decisions would be made. Um, some things like, um, you know, uh, epiglottic entrapment, dorsal displacement of the soft palate, there are other surgical things that can be done depending on the abnormality. Um, you know, some of these more dynamic issues, they can be, um, for example, pharyngeal collapse, they can be challenging to treat. But the, the really important thing is at least getting the client to understand what's happening to see if it's something we can treat or we can't really successfully treat. And there are options that can be tried, but they don't always work. Um, things like lower airway concerns like equine asthma, um, EIPH, we do have treatments that we can try. Um, you know, depending on what we're dealing with, for example, asthma, um, we generally are going to prescribe some course of a bronchodilator and an inhaled or systemic steroid regimen. Um, and basically our goal is to decrease the response that they're having to those normal airway irritants. So we want to decrease the mucus plugging. We want to decrease the lower airway spasm that's causing them to have difficulty. So decrease the inflammation and open the airways. Um, so we usually approach that from a, um, multiple angles. Um, also, other things that can be done for those horses include, like I said, eliminating allergens if we can. So, for example, if they're allergic to a type of hay, perhaps thinking about switching their hay, wetting down the bedding. Horses in the Midwest that are trapped in dusty barns in the winter, putting them outside, um, you know, environmental management things. Um, High quality omega-3s can be helpful for the airway. Um, there's lots of products out there that can that can be useful for that. Um, and you know, the the Acervo Equihaler, I'm a big proponent of that that just came out. That's an inhaled steroid seclesonide inhaler. Um, really cool new innovation for the horse, allows a short course of, of inhaled steroids. It's a lot safer for the horse. 
um, because it's the, the actual medication is not activated until it reaches the lower airway. And it, the particle size is small enough that it, it does get inhaled into the lower airway. So it can be really useful as a rescue therapy for these horses having a lot of trouble. Um, so there's lots of different ways we can approach it. Some people around here um, where I am will buy nebulizers and, and actually be able to, you know, have refills on that if they need it in times of, of crisis. Um, so their horses have inhaled therapy and some people, you know, want to do oral systemic therapies. It just depends on lots of different factors. Um, for horses with EIPH, there's no magic bullet. It really depends on how, how severely they're affected. Um, and I should mention those horses, the workup often includes, um, very similar to equine asthma, sort of the, the imaging techniques first. On x-rays, you will see uh, in severely affected cases, uh, patchy interstitial pattern in the caudodorsal lung field is very pathognomonic for this disease. Um, you may or may not see blood in the trachea on endoscopy. Oftentimes, these horses will get scoped at, at barrel races, for example, to really see if they've actively bled at the time of maximum exercise. And that's a really good time to see it if you're going to see it. BAL will also determine if they've bled recently or, or in the recent past um, based on the, you know, if there's blood or blood pigments in, in that sample. Um, those horses, the best therapy we know of at the moment is running them on Lasix. So injectable Lasix a couple of hours before, before running them and withholding their water to a small amount before they're, before they're running. Um, but there's really no other known useful, super useful treatments for that disease. So managing it the best they can um, is kind of the best that you can do. Some people report um, success with, you know, lots of different things, but there's no perfect panacea for that one, unfortunately. So I'm going to skip now to a, a little different topic, and let's talk about shipping fever, because I know in Arizona, you're seeing a lot of horses come in and out for show season, and there are all types of breeds and disciplines in there. The Western horses, the English horses, the jumpers, the dressage, the reining, the roping. I mean, they're just, they're all types. So what what do you suggest, um, especially maybe for some of the younger veterinarians, because we've We've uh, been out of show season for a couple of years, so they may not have been able to get quite as much experience seeing these horses at the show sites. So if you're called out for a respiratory issue and it's shipping fever, what do you usually see? Fever? I mean, what, what's going on? Yeah, so a lot of times these horses are going to be discovered 24 to 72 hours after they get off the trailer. Um, and it honestly does not matter if they stopped twice during the ride or not. It, when they are going to get shipping fever, they're going to get shipping fever. There are some things that can be done to try to help prevent um those things include making sure they're vaccinated for uh, flu rhino a couple weeks before they get on the, the trailer. So they have some time to mount immune, an immune response. If they're commingling with horses, you know, there's always a risk that they're going to be exposed to one of those viruses. And those can really knock their immune system down. Um, the reason these horses get shipping fever often is because, you know, the typical case is horses been tied in the trailer with their head up. You know, as you all know, horses eat off the ground. That means that they have dust and stuff that they inhale, but the idea is that everything drains with gravity, so down. So when they're tied up, 
and they're inhaling particulates in the air, if there's shavings in the trailer and hay and things going by on the highway, they're just getting exposed to all sorts of things and they're seeding deeper in the airway because their head is tied. Um, and so it's just a perfect storm, especially if they have a viral component. They don't always, but they can. Um, certainly keeping them well vaccinated and making sure that it's done far enough out from um, from a long ride is, is useful. Um, I'm not one to advocate treating them with antibiotics prior to a ship. Uh, I just don't think that's a judicious use of antibiotics. And there really hasn't been a lot of science to support that practice. Um, really, it's about keeping a good monitor on these horses on the way. And if they can have a break and get their head down, maybe graze a little bit while they're on the trip, that can be helpful. Um, but when they get off the trailer, the, the most common complaints are um, lethargy, decreased appetite. And then at that time, usually the caretaker is going to take a temperature because the horse just seems a little bit off. Um, sometimes horses are really good at hiding fevers. So I always think it's important, even on the ride, to monitor their temperature. Um, you know, if they're on a hot trailer, they might have a little bit of a high fever, a high temperature without it being a fever. Um, but when they get off and they've had some time to settle, you know, a temp over 101.5 sitting in the stall is really abnormal. So that shouldn't be happening. Um, so the other things they might see are a cough, um, nasal discharge that's usually discolored, um, yellow or green. Um, sometimes those things aren't present. So Horses can get so sick so fast um, with shipping fever. It always, it, it really amazes me. Sometimes, you know, the people tell me they got off the trailer and 12 hours later, they were just completely down and out. Um, so, you know, just atypical signs, especially decrease in appetite, lethargy, and definitely a fever are first signs that we see. So if any of those things are seen, um, you know, next steps would be obviously a very thorough physical exam, as I've said before. Um, one of the things if they have thorough effusion or fluid in their chest that you will hear is radiating heart sounds. So um, when you're listening to their heart, you know, you might just think to yourself, wow, this this just sounds a little bit more easy to hear than I'm used to. And as you take your stethoscope and move up um, dorsally on their chest wall, you can actually, if they have fluid in their chest, you can hear the heart up to the level of the fluid. So um, where you stop hearing the heart sounds is where the fluid stops. So that might give you a clue if they have fluid in their chest and always listen on both sides. Um, you know, as, as many of you know, it's much harder to hear their heart on the right. So if, that's another clue. If it's really easy to hear their heart on the right, they probably have fluid in their chest. Um, so, you know, if you have a little ultrasound, that can be useful to kind of pop on there and see if you see anything on the lungs. Um, blood work, SAA can be super useful in these cases. Um, just a baseline screening blood work looking for either elevation or a drop in white blood cells. All of those things can be useful. Um, these are pretty emergent. So you might also notice that the horse has kind of short, shallow breaths. Um, they might have some paradoxical abdominal movement as well. So just a lot of effort, um, almost in like a kind of short, shallow way, um, when they're, when they're breathing versus a normal deep breath. Um, so lots of things you can look for. And I would say they're, you know, they're, they're not usually super subtle. So trust your gut when you, when you see these ones. Okay, boy, that, that was some really good information there and some nice tips to be able to, to, to go into these horses and look. 
Um, I do want to talk a little bit about when we're talking about airway problems, and you've mentioned several times about environment. So the veterinarian cannot change the horse's environment. That's up to the client. So how do you manage your clients when horses have these issues? Yeah, so um, I've seen horses in all different parts of the U.S. with these problems and, you know, weather and dust and pollens can play a big role in in the different diseases that you see. Um, I think the biggest thing is trying to teach them that the horse, the horse, their breathing environment is so different than our breathing environment. So, um, you know, some of the people that are doing research um, in in this vein will do some really cool stuff with um, measuring particulates in the air, just just normal particulates, and then also putting um, monitors on like a halter, for example, and monitoring the dust in the local little microcosm of the horse's nose. Um, and it's incredible the numbers of dust that these horses are getting exposed to when they're just eating food. So for example, a hay net versus hay on the ground versus a round bale. I mean, even those things in the little local environment take away if they're inside a barn or out, out in the, you know, outside, they're still inhaling so much dust in different, in different scenarios. And so really trying to drill down to how these horses are being fed. Are they being fed in a hay net? Are they being fed in a feeder outside that is raised? Or are they just, is the hay just being tossed in the ground? Are they being fed hay? Are they being fed pellets? What kind of bedding are they on? Are they on, you know, pine shavings versus pelleted bedding versus straw? I mean, all of these things are super important. And once you find that information out, then trying to devise some strategies. And really, you'll find that you have different levels of commitment from different owners. Some owners are like, huh, I, you know, I can only do so much. Um, some owners are very anti putting their horse outside, even though their horse really needs to be kept outside versus in a dusty barn. So um, I guess, you know, the way I try to manage it is, um, you know, I always just try to be understanding about the situation and try to really be detail oriented and drilling down to exactly what is being done, because sometimes there's simple solutions to what seems like really complex problems. So, for example, if the if the client feeds hay on the ground and they're pretty anti, you know, changing a whole lot, they, they don't want to put their horse outside, they keep their horse at a boarding facility and they have pine shavings. You know, you might start by suggesting wetting down the bedding and soaking the hay a little bit. So you can just say, hey, there's a way we can do it that's pretty practical. This is how we recommend doing it. Start with this and see if we see some improvement. If you still don't see improvement, then the next step would be perhaps, you know, we may get to the point that we have to put the horse outside. And maybe we can come up with a way that they're sheltered really nicely outside, just because usually it's the owners worried more than the horses. Um, so, you know, just kind of giving them a plan, I think, can be really helpful preparing them. So if this doesn't work, then this. And I think being really detail oriented, I think, really helps clients tend to really like that you're um trying to be a team with them to make a solution and then coming up with different scenarios so that they know okay well we're not at the end of 
our options. If, if we exhaust this option, that there's another option. Um, and I think that, that that really goes a long way. I've had some clients in Arizona that their horses have had really bad asthma to the point that they can barely walk from one place to the next without having really significant compromise. And, and I mean, I've talked to them and said, listen, you know, there's a possibility your horse may need to move back to a different environment. They might just not be an Arizona horse. That's going to be last, last resort, but just keep it in mind because you're better off preparing them in the beginning than having to tell them that, that down the road when they've done a million things, at least they have it in their mind and they can think of options themselves in the meantime. Yeah, those are all great points. And and is there anything else as far as airway concerns and performance forces that you would like to share with, with the audience? You know, I think if you've exhausted um, all the basic options that we've discussed, you know, all the common things happen commonly kind of things, then you sort of are dealing with something more uncommon. And so in those cases, I think involving somebody like me, an internist, can be really useful. Um, even with these ones that have, you know, significant equine asthma, you know, I think as a general practitioner, it is it is your job to try to help characterize what's going on but then from there we're here to help and um i i'm always a big advocate of having your local internist be a team member with you because um we're definitely here to support and and elevate your practices and and you know give you good advice but also be here to kind of tune in where we can and really get the best information for everybody involved. So don't feel like you have to be an expert at everything. There's so much. Um, the people out there doing, you know, road warrior medicine are truly road warriors. You guys have to know a little bit of everything. And, you know, we're here, we're here to do more of the detail work and then to pass your patients back to you for continued excellent care. So um, please know that, you know, that's our role here. And, and I would say by far and away, most of the internists I know are pretty great people and we're just here to help. So if we can be helpful, we're just a phone call away and, um, you know, sometimes we can even be consulted by phone for a client that you've already done some work for. And we're always happy to do that. At least I can speak for myself that I am. So, um, so just, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. If you think it's something weird and you've kind of done the, the other things, it doesn't seem like your treatment plan is working or you feel like you're up against a wall, always reach out. I think it's a great way to, to work as a good team. Well, that is a perfect way to, to end this podcast. And I really do appreciate it, Dr. Liepman, that you joined us today on this episode of Disease Du Jour. We'd like to thank our audience for listening to the podcast. And a special thanks to our 2022 sponsor, Merck Animal Health, for allowing us to bring these people and let them talk to you about some of the issues we have. We invite our listeners to rate past episodes of Disease Du Jour on your favorite podcast platform, or you can find them all on equimanagement.com. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC, 